The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Uh, you know, I would say that if uh, Jesus were here speaking to us in this room this morning, uh, He would probably use the fires as an illustration, these California fires. He would use them as an illustration because He used everything around him as an illustration. Uh, The fires are a major epidemic. He would be talking about the fires. He'd say the kingdom of heaven is like this, and he'd bring it home in a relatable way. He would use the fires in a way that we'd go, wow, that makes total sense. I really get it. Uh, He's great at that. If he were here today, he'd be talking about LA traffic. He'd be talking about LA traffic. When you're in a traffic jam, some say this, but I say this. This is what he would say. He would be using the things that, were, that are common to us, things that are common to us, so we would understand his ways, love, forgiveness, his nature, his mercy, tr- truth, knowledge, all these things. He leveraged everything around him and the culture around him to communicate his heart and his kingdom, and he's been doing that all through scripture. Uh, oftentimes in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, we'll see him uh, talking about planting seeds and raising harvests. Things bearing fruit are getting choked out, which everyone around him understood, 100%. Much of their life was based on that. They're like, we totally get it. Or he would use things about catching fish, and people would understand that too. He also said some things about um, uh, paying rent and rent collectors in the Bible. The rent collector came, and he went to do this, and the people responded this way. And that's something we could all relate to, because many of us are paying rent, whether it's a roommate renting a place or uh, paying a mortgage. We understand the dynamic of paying for a place to live and somebody owning. So Jesus used all of these kinds of things in his illustrations so that you and I would understand the kingdom of God better. And today, there's a challenge. It's a glaring one. Jesus is being challenged with this issue, and it's an issue of concern that we all have too, and, and, and the Bible's talking about it. Jesus was called out on this, and it's the issue of paying taxes. Does anyone in the room pay taxes? Okay, hands down. Does anyone in the room pay too much taxes? Okay, same hands went up. Um, Taxes, yeah, it's like you, you think, you know, certain times of the year you're really struggling with taxes, but a, a chunk of our money goes to taxes. I was putting gas in just yesterday, and as I was at the pump thinking about this message in taxes, as I'm filling up my SUV, sorry guys, I have a larger carbon footprint than some others, but I got five kids and one with special needs. I got an SUV. So I'm putting gas in this thing again, and as I'm putting gas, I look at the little sticker, little sticker on the gas pump. And it actually talks about all the taxes. Most of us don't see this little sticker, but it's sitting right there. And it talks about all the taxes that we pay for every gallon of gas. And I was kind of blown away. I don't know if you know it, about $1 of every gallon of gas you pay is straight taxes. About a third of all your gas is tax. That's kind of a lot of money. Isn't that a lot of money? Uh, There is an election coming. uh, There's voting in November. I think you guys have an opportunity to repeal that if you want. Not telling you what to do, but if you want to repeal some of that gas tax, you can do that. But the point is, taxes is something we all pay. We struggle with taxes. We pay income taxes. We have property taxes if you own a property. California raised the sales tax to 10% when the economy crashed. The economy's gotten good, and it's still 10%. Um, but, but the point is, everyone's paying taxes, and we pay them all the time. And Jesus is challenged with the same question on taxes. So what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? We're going to see. But taxes 
is the initial question, and Jesus is going to talk about this particular type of tax, which had to do with the temple and the worship services. This is a tax, and he talked about this, but there's a bigger picture going on here, and the bigger picture has to do with your witness and my witness. The witness of the whole world watching you and watching me. When we pay our taxes, the way we drive, everything we do, what we say, how we react, what we do and what we do not do, people are watching, you and I, especially because we call ourselves Christians or Christ followers. And people love to find, and you've probably seen this in the news before, a Christ follower who did not act like a Christ follower, and that's on the front page of the news, right? That kind of stuff is front and center. Why? Because they expected a different kind of witness. And when they didn't get the kind of witness that the believer was not practicing what they preached, so to speak, sometimes that's very front and center. We're all fallible. We all fall short. But we need to be intentional as Christ followers about our witness and the value of our witness. What is your witness worth to you? Honestly, think about that question. What is your witness worth to you? Is it, do you put a high value on your witness? Do you put a mediocre? Do you put a low value on your witness? This passage today starts with the theme of paying a temple tax, and it evolves into this much bigger picture that has to do with the value of your witness and mine. And Jesus shows this beautifully. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 17, if you can open there, Matthew 17, we are teaching through the book of Matthew. Um, so either in your Bible or on your device, however you read the word, uh, we also have this for the screen uh, for you. But he's confronted with this issue of paying taxes. Um, and what I love about this is, see, we're teaching through books of the Bible. That's typically the way we do it here. We, we teach through books of the Bible. We've been going through Matthew for a while. And the beauty about teaching through uh, the Bible as we do, just going you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is that you end up absorbing the full counsel of God's word. Everybody say full counsel. Okay, the cool thing about full counsel is you and I get in on everything that God's saying as we keep going through scripture. That's the cool thing. Another method of doing it is just uh, if I were to get up here each week and just pick a topic. And that's fun. I do that once in a while. We do that here, you know, with, with, as we share some teaching. But, um, and there's a time and place for that. But if we only pick topics, you would only get the topics that we choose. And sometimes churches just pick topics. And I'm not knocking that. That's one style or one philosophy of teaching. But the thing about teaching through the Word of God is that you and I get the full counsel. And so Jesus teaches on some difficult subjects and some liberating subjects and some powerful subjects and some uh, just all kinds of different things. And when we teach through the Word, we get the full picture. And today, this thing about taxes comes up. And that's not something you usually talk about in church much. But since they went right at Jesus with this question... And Jesus made a preaching moment about the taxes. We too are going to go there. So if you're in uh, Matthew, it's chapter 17. We're picking up where we left off last week. And it's verse 24 is where we're picking up. And now what's interesting about this, this story about taxes here, it's only in Matthew's gospel. This is not in Mark or Luke or John. It's only in Matthew. And I think that's unique that it's in Matthew. But we wonder why is Matthew the only one who records this um, of course, John's gospel says there's so many miracles that Jesus did, there's not enough books to contain them. So, you know, obviously they couldn't write all the stories about Jesus, but they wrote many. Sometimes they duplicated them, sometimes they had them in three places, and rarely do you see them in all four gospels. But this one is only in Matthew's gospel. And I think the reason Matthew said, I'm making sure we cover this story, 
is Matthew, before he was a Christ follower, was a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew understands what it's like getting taxes from people. And unlike the IRS today where you get a bill in the mail, back then they actually made you come to them. They single file. Everyone had to stand in front of the tax collectors and they kind of shook people down and got their taxes from them. And if not, they would go to your door and get the taxes. Could you imagine how embarrassing that would be? Coming to your door, the IRS van is outside your unit knocking on the door and they're not leaving until you pay your taxes. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? But this is the culture with Rome. Rome's collecting taxes. And then in the temple, for the worship in the temple and, this, and the worship services and the outreach uh, in the temple, there was also a temple tax. And they're actually going after people, finding them and making sure, did you pay yours yet? And if not, now is the time. Matthew's like, I get it. I used to do this for a living before I followed Jesus. This is a cool story. I'm making sure I write it down. And so uh, this is where it starts out in verse 24. And uh, we're just going to take this in sections. Uh, but it starts out like this in verse 24. It says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. I just want to stop there for a minute. So they wait for Jesus to come back to Capernaum, where all these guys are making their main uh, Grand Central, that's their home base. They're doing a lot of ministry out of Capernaum. When they're back home, these tax collectors roll up on them right away. Like, oh, there they are, let's go. And, the tax collect- and, and so they roll up on Peter, and they're asking Peter about temple tax and if Jesus pays it. Uh, these aren't Romans, they're Jewish tax collectors for the purpose of the temple. Now, there were some requirements, and uh, I want to bring this in context, and to fully understand what this means, we need to put ourselves back in first century Israel, and we need to be in Capernaum too, and we need to be walking on the street with the people, smelling the dust, understanding the climate, so we fully appreciate what's going on here. So I want to just bring us up to speed on first century Judaism, uh, what the expectation and the requirements were of somebody following God, following the Torah, uh, being a worshiper. And so these were requirements. According to Jewish law, everyone was required to pay their tithe, which is a 10% of their income. And they did it at the temple or the synagogue uh, so that the Bible says there's ministry provisions. So there's food in my house. This is what God has been saying through the whole Old Testament. Um, I also believe that carries over to the new. But it also says this. They also made these various offerings for a sin offering, a free will offering, a drink offering. There's a number of things outlined in the Bible that were these additional offerings that people did. But finally, for every Jewish male over 20 years old, it was required, required that they paid the temple tax. So Jesus is back into town and they're like, there he is. And so they roll up on Peter and like the temple tax. What about his temple tax? And the temple tax was about two days wages and it simply helped with some of the upkeep and maintenance of the temple. Everyone say upkeep and maintenance. Just that, just, just, just to kind of kind of keep things going along. And so this was something that was set up way back. God told Moses to collect this from every Jewish male over 20 uh, years old. And so in Exodus, this is what's cool about this. This has been happening now for uh, 1,500 years, you know, or, or longer, this has been going on, this sort of thing. 1,600 years at the time they come up to Jesus, they've been collecting temple tax uh, nonstop. Back in Exodus 30, God told Moses to collect this temple tax for uh, back then before they had a building, it was a tent of meeting. It was like portable church. Everyone say portable church. 
they were in the desert doing portable church for 40 years. And after that, when they got to the land of Canaan, they were still doing portable church for many years until they built it, and they were collecting this temple tax back then. And then in 2 Kings, um, we notice uh, after the temple is built, uh, they're collecting this temple tax. And then in Nehemiah, they're doing repairs for the second temple. And in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, something comes up. And, and, and what, what they say is uh, the king says, guys, talking to Israel, he's like, why have you discarded the maintenance and repairs to God's house he says, no, this is not right. It's not right to let... So they had like doors falling off the temple and walls looking weird and things are all cracked and chipped. And, and, and what the context was, and it comes up you know, through Solomon, it comes up in other times in the Bible where they're saying, everyone's taking care of their own house, but they're disregarding God's house. This is what the Bible says. And it's a recurring theme of, guys, let's, let's, let's be mindful of this. And so that's what's going on with this temple tax right now. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you have friends that are, in a, or you're from a Jewish background, uh, this is not something to laugh about or mock about. This is being immersed in a Jewish worldview, uh, understanding the Old Testament law and the Torah, and being a worshiper, and coming up through the law and the requirements of the law, and the interpretation of those requirements. This is just normal uh, for many people in Judaism, but some synagogues actually sell membership and sell seats. Did you know that? They sell membership and they sell seats. For, for, for some of us, we're like, that just sounds weird. For others, that's completely normal. Um, so it, the, Israel Nation, uh, the Israel National News is a news organization that documents questions, concerns about Israel and Judaism and what we do and what we don't do and why we do it and what we don't. So the question came into Israel National News and says, what obligation is the question? What obligation, if any... Uh, is there to pay synagogue, is there to pay synagogue membership and to purchase a seat there? What, what obligation is there? This is the official word. Tell us what the official answer is. And the answer is this. Judaism emphasizes prayer with and for the congregation, not only by oneself. So in other words, in Judaism, it's not just you and God and you're cool. It's no, the corporate worship has to be part of God's requirement. And it goes on to say, and according to the interpretation of the law, prayer with a congregation is obligatory, which includes financial obligations of its congregation members to build a synagogue, donate for the equipment, pay for seats, and it requires offerings based on the biblical tithe and the temple tax. So this is in Israel recently, the official rabbinic response to an inquirer. So this sort of mindset's been going on for um, 3,500 years now uh, with the Jewish culture, and they come up on Jesus with this same mindset, same framework, just so we understand context, and say, what about Jesus? Does he pay it? And if so, we are here to get it. So now we understand the context. Again, it might sound foreign to us, but it did not sound foreign to Jesus or the first century apostles. One unique thing, and I just want to bring this up briefly because when it comes to this concept, uh, we all have different views and we might, uh, we might think, uh, we might have our own baseline of what is normal and what is good or what is proper or what is weird or off. And, and, and you know, sometimes I read these things in scripture and I'm like, that's odd. Like if, if a tax collector uh, rolled up on you and came to your door and said, I'm here to get your temple tax. By the way, we do not charge a temple tax here at Metro Church. Amen. 
Can I just be straight with that? We don't charge a temple tax. No buying seats. No one has to purchase a seat. Thank God for that. But the point is, um, this was something going on in the culture. Uh, it says this. I just want to, before we jump back into our story, but in, in Mark 12, 41, is an interesting thing. Jesus is training his disciples. He's walking through Israel with the disciples. They're going everywhere, Sea of Galilee, through Samaria, up to Jerusalem. They're going everywhere. And as he goes everywhere, Jesus used visual optics and stories and, and principles, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God everywhere he goes. This is what the kingdom's like. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is how God's economy works. This is how we be world changers. This is how we're salt and light. And everywhere he goes, he's, he's showing them something about the kingdom of God. And in, in Mark 12, 41, he does something very odd to me. I mean, I'm, I'm a little weirded out by it, to be honest with you, but Jesus is like, no, this is a teaching moment for my disciples. And in Mark 12, 41, he teaches them an important lesson, and it says, quote, unquote, that Jesus stood at the treasury in the temple. He stood at the treasury in the temple, and he watched what each person put in. Does that sound a little weird? It does to me. Can I be the only, anybody else honest in the room? Does that sound a little weird? It sounds, because that's like, that's like private, and we don't talk about that, and and Jesus is like, no, this is a teaching moment for my disciples. Guys, come here, all 12 of you, come over here. And here's the treasury, and we're going to stand right next to it, and I want you to watch and observe. And they're sitting and they're watching people put it in there, and that just is weird to me. Like, I, I, I would be weirded out by that. I'm just being honest with you. And Jesus is like, no, I'm trying to teach them a lesson here. And it, they're watching people, and they're watching what they put in. So uh, that tells me one thing. Jesus is watching the treasure and he sees what we give. Do you guys know that he sees what we do? Everything we do in life, when we serve others, when we love others, when we forgive others, when we testify, when we give, all these things he sees. But he's at the treasury and he's, he's watching everybody give. And this rich guy comes in and puts in all these coins. And uh, from Jewish historians, they're saying the way this went is you put them down these little metal tubes and you could hear the money like roll, the coins, into a big treasury thing. So the rich guy comes in, it's like Vegas slot machine, ching, ching, he's throwing in these gold coins, boom, 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 just popping them all in there, and everyone's like, ooh, that guy's got, putting in a lot of money. Jesus is like, that's, that's, a, that's not an issue. And this widow comes up, and had these little itty-bitty mites, mites, widow's mite, puny little, and she comes in and she just drops in, just, just this widow's mite, ding, 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 and it goes in, and Jesus is like... Awesome, watching. He's watching the treasury and people giving and he's with the apostles and he's like that first guy that put in all that, that's nothing to shout out about. What that woman did, that's rock star level faith what she did. And I'm only saying this because this has to do with treasure temporary, collecting tag and Jesus, the context of Jesus in this context. But what he said is that woman, she put in her whole heart. And that rich guy, he might've put in a lot of money but he didn't barely put a little, just a little nick of his heart. Does that make sense? And so Jesus was looking at the heart and the kingdom of God. And, and I bring that up because that's exactly what this context and this culture, Jesus is traveling with the apostles. He's showing them things. And now somebody from the temple is coming to him wanting this additional, additional tax. Um, and so it reflects the, the, what's going on here. Um, by the way, I do want to say this, guys. Those of you who do support the ministry here at Metro, I want to say thank you so much for allowing us to teach the word and be a light and salt in our city. Sincerely, thank you very much. We could not do what we do without you and without your support, so we sincerely appreciate that. If you're visiting today, 
I want to encourage you, whether this is your home church or you're going to find a home church or you're looking or you're from out of town, I want to encourage you, wherever you go back or whatever you call home, I want to encourage you to support the work of God's kingdom through your local church because that's something the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And in the Old Testament, they were doing it for another 1,500 years before that. Um, in fact, even going back to Abraham, we can go back another 2,000 years. He also was giving to the high priest saying, expand the kingdom of God. I want to say that because that's important to say on this context of temple tax, church, support, missions, ministry, that is glaring. It's in the story. We can't ignore it. But there's a bigger picture going on here. And I want to talk to you about the bigger picture. The question, does Jesus pay the tax or not? We want to know. And if he does, we are here to collect it. And so Peter says, yes, he does. They're outside. He goes walking into the house to ask Jesus. These guys are here. And Jesus already knows what they asked him. And he already knows when Peter comes in the house, before Peter says a word, uh, Jesus responds. It's amazing. It's amazing. It continues in verse 25. Uh, to read verse 25 in its entirety. Yes, he does, he replied. Verse 25 continues. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt. Jesus said to him, but, but so that we may not cause offense. That's important. If you have a Bible, you might want to underline that. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. That's a pretty amazing story. So they asked Peter, uh, Jesus asked Peter, um, let me ask you, Peter, I know they're here to collect the tax, but let me ask you, do the kings of the land charge their own sons taxes? And back then you had a lot of monarchies. You had kings that you didn't have democracies all over the known world like today. You had kings and rulers around all these different empires. And in the context of kingship and Jesus being the king of kings, uh, and he's saying, um, do rulers and kings pay, uh, make their own children pay tax? And the answer is no. And he's basically saying, so does God the Father who owns the temple want to charge me, his son, a temple tax? And the answer to that is, uh, well, obviously no. He's your father. He owns the the temple, and it's essentially yours too, Jesus, because you're, you have a birthright to it as well. And so do you have to pay technically and spiritually? The answer would be, be no. And Jesus is saying, so the son is exempt, right? Peter says, yeah, yeah, you're right, Jesus, the son is exempt. But Jesus chooses to pay it anyway. He chooses to pay it when he doesn't have to, which leads to this glaring question. Why would he do something he doesn't have to do? Why would you do something you don't have to do? Why would I do something I don't have to do? Why should you do something you don't have to do? It's a glaring question. And this is a front and center question today because it has everything to do with your witness. It has everything to do with the world watching you and the world watching me. What will we do if we don't have to? We don't have to. But will you do it anyway? Because the world is watching, and Jesus is approaching this temple tax. We talked about context, temple tax, 
ministry and why they do it. So we understand that. But the bigger overarching question is like, I'm going to do this even though I don't have to. And and this is where it's going to build. And I hope there's some take-homes for this. So we know God miraculously provided in the story. We'll get to the merits of why Jesus did it, but God miraculously provided. It's been said about miracles that you can describe a miracle as this, that if you can explain it, God didn't do it. If you can explain it, God probably didn't do it. If we can explain everything about, well, this happened and then this guy did that, then we, you know, but if it's unexplainable, like I don't even know how that happened, uh, then, you know, God shows up and supernaturally uh, pulls something off right in front of us that just blows us away. So this miracle is one of those kind of miracles, like only God knows how this story could have happened where Jesus owes a temple tax, tells Peter to throw out a line and pulls in a fish with a coin. I don't know how it works, but I do know this. I trust that the wind and the waves still know his name. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know that this morning? The wind and the waves still know his name. And I trust that if he can command the wind and the waves, he certainly can command a little fish. You guys good with that? If he can command the wind and the waves, if he could raise the dead, if he can send hell where to go, if he can do all those things, I certainly trust he can command a little fish what to do. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe someone flipped out a coin. <laughs> And the fish comes along and snatches it. Peter throws out his line. You know, some people do good luck. They just throw something. You've walked by those restaurants. Everyone's tossing their coins in there, right? Uh, maybe somebody did that. Maybe this fish, you know, did this. And Peter throws out his coin. And it's like, I, I, no one's going to believe this when I tell them. You know, and fishermen have stories. You guys know fishermen have stories? <laughs> fishermen, yeah, it was this, this fish I caught. It was like, it was like this big. You know, the story just keeps changing, right? Fishermen are loaded with stories. The one that got away. Uh, and when Peter starts telling this story, guys, you're not going to believe this. I caught a fish and had a coin in his mouth. Legit story. And I paid, and they're going to be right, Peter. They're going to say, Peter, <laughs> that one sounds fishy. Sorry, I'm just saying. Sounds fishy, Peter. Um, but, but here's the thing. Matthew is like, no, guys, I fact-checked this story. As a tax collector, I fa- this is legit. This is a true story. God miraculously somehow provided. I don't know how, I don't know why. I do know this summer, our family got to go early in the summer back east to Virginia, and um, uh, Christy's uncle lives on a little uh, lake, a little peninsula of a, of a lake right there, and uh, Macy, with the kids were fishing, and Macy's down there for the first time fishing, and she comes up one day at breakfast. Before breakfast, she caught five fish. Before breakfast. And some of those fish were caught. She didn't want to put the bait on there because she thought it was they were a little slimy and weird, the, 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 the worms. So sometimes she just threw out that shiny little thing, you know, the hook, the little lure, and she's pulling in fish with just a shiny thing with no bait on it. So can you catch fish with shiny stuff? Apparently you can. I've seen it happen. And if you fish, you've probably seen it happen. I don't know how this story happened. I don't know. I believe it's a miracle God provided. But he turns around, opens the fish's mouth. I believe when you follow the words of Jesus Christ in your life, you too will experience miracles. I believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. I believe his word is true. I believe when he directs us and we obey by the spirit of God, I believe we leave the rest to God. Amen? We leave the rest to God. And if God says, Jesus says, this is what you do and this is how you do it, you just do it. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to get your head around it. You don't have to get your mind around it. You don't have to explain it to anybody else why you're doing it. You just do it. And Peter does it and is like, wow, this one's going to go down in history. No one's going to believe this story. And so he ends up bringing back, paying the tax. Uh, and I'm sure they're all like wiping it off. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, this is weirdest tax we ever got. So anyway, uh, great story. So that's what's happened right there. But why did Jesus pay it? The glaring question, why did Jesus pay it if he didn't have to? Because he doesn't have to. Why do anything 
you don't have to do. Because most people in life do default to a lower common denominator and don't do what we don't have to do. Why would we, why should we spend extra energy to go out of our way to do things that we don't have to do? One reason, one reason, and this reason was true for Jesus, and the same reason is true for me and you. Your witness is at stake. The one reason you do what you don't have to do, or you don't do what you could do, but you choose not to do it for a good reason. I mean, I'm talking in a beneficial way. I could do this, but I'm going to opt not to in a beneficial way. Why? One reason, your witness is at stake. Just like Jesus' witness was at stake right here. Jesus says in verse 27, why are you going to do it? And Jesus says, I'll tell you why, I'm not gonna, uh, uh, why am I going to pay this tax when I don't have to? I'll tell you why, Peter. One reason. So that I do not offend them. Now, you and I might say, who cares if you offend them? They're heathen. They're not believers. They're, you know, we got all these ideas. They're going to think what they're going to think anyway. You've heard this conversation before, right? Am I the only one who's thinking that way, right? You've heard, right? Jesus says, I don't think that way. Jesus says, I actually care what they think. And you might go, well, look, they're just lost in their own stuff, and they're going to believe what they're going to believe. And they're, Jesus is like, I care about them. I love them. And I don't want to offend them. I want you to think about this deeply because some of us don't think this way. Sometimes I'm not thinking this way. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. I need to think this way in everything. Jesus cares about them. Some have this mindset of the faith that it's me and the Lord. It's just me and the Lord. And I got to just hold on and get this right with God. But the rest of the world around me sometimes feels like it's going to hell in a handbag. Has anybody ever felt that way? That's what it feels like sometimes. I get it. I just want to encourage you, Jesus didn't think that way. Jesus didn't act that way. He didn't live that way. He didn't go, oh, they're a bunch of Samaritans anyway. They're worshiping false gods. Just avoid that town. They're a bunch of losers. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He's like, I love them. I'm going right into the middle of their city, their little town square. I'm going right to their well where they're going. I'm going to them. Everyone's walking around them. The religious people are walking around him. And Jesus is like, I'm not walking around anybody. I'm going right to the source. He did it again and again. Lepers, everyone, not me. I'm not walking around them. I'm going right to the source. Drunkards, prostitutes, tax collectors, everyone avoided them in the religious realm because those people are messed up. And Jesus is like, I don't think that way. They're not messed up. They just need truth in their life. They just need liberty. They need peace. They need clarity. They need the spirit of God. They need the word of God. Everyone's like that before an encounter with Jesus. Amen? We're all in some kind of way messed up and misguided. So he's like, Jesus walks right. So his view, his view of the world, the world isn't always our view of the world. We put the world together like the system of sin and brokenness and away from God. The world is just this. Be careful. The world may be living in a realm like that, but Jesus doesn't write them off. Jesus walks right in the middle. And Jesus is saying, I don't want to offend them. And you and I think, who cares if we offend them? They're going to think what they think anyway, and they don't think. We have all kinds of things that pop up. Believe me, I hear the narrative all the time, even in Christian circles, even in posts that people post. on. There's a lot of different views out there. I'm just telling you, the heart of Jesus is I care. I care about the world. I care about what they think, and I care about what they feel. What, can you say what they feel? 
You might not think that Jesus cares about what the world feels. Jesus cares about what the world feels. These guys are not in the kingdom of God. These Jewish tax collectors are not following Messiah, okay? We don't ever know if they ever did or they didn't. I don't know. We don't know their future. But they come up to collect this tax, and Jesus says, I care about them, and I don't want to offend them because I want to have a good witness to them, Peter. I'm the son of the king. We own the temple. We don't have to pay anything. But so that I don't offend Again, the word offend, everyone's got a different place for that. Oh, I don't care who I offend or I, you know, why, why would I worry about what they think? Or There's a lot of different views in the room and I'm not here to change your mind on everything, but I am here to encourage you to start thinking like Jesus and let's start sensing like Jesus and being led like Jesus and walking like Jesus and truly following Jesus. And Peter's learning a lesson right here. Those guys don't even believe what we believe, Jesus, but still you love them enough to not offend them. And you love them enough to, enough to go out of your way to do something that you do not have to do, but you did it anyway. And that is witness by definition. That's witness. If you're a note taker, jot these few things down this morning on, on witness this morning. We got a few key points and I think this will help you. Uh, and, and it certainly helps me when we see it in this light right here. The first one is this. My primary witness is to God. My primary witness is to God. God Almighty is why he's the sovereign one. He's all-knowing, always present, all-powerful, watching you and me all the time. He loves us, not through a lens of condemnation, but through what Jesus did on the cross. He looks at you through the lens of love, through grace, as a blood-bought son and daughter of God, but he's watching us and he says, go and be my witnesses. You are my witnesses, God says, for me, for me, for me, primarily for God. So it's important to know that that my primary witness is to God. My number one witness, whether the world gets me or doesn't get me, where they understand me, don't understand me, where they misalign, where they malign you know, somebody or not, th- those are all secondary. My number one witness is that we can stand before God on that day and say, Lord, I was a witness for you. And he's gonna say, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Welcome home. You certainly were a great witness for me. That's important. Number one, my primary witness is is to God, but number two is, is this, my secondary witness is to the whole world watching me. My secondary witness is to the whole world watching me. Number one, God sees what we're doing even when the world isn't watching. God sees what we're doing when no one's watching. He's the sovereign one, he's the all-knowing one. So our number one is to him, he's our creator, he's our maker, we were made for his glory. But my number two witnesses, he's like, be my witnesses and go represent me represent me to a world who doesn't know me, who doesn't get me yet, who doesn't understand me yet, who doesn't understand even their need for me yet, who doesn't understand my liberation, my peace, my freedom, my forgiveness, my, uh, my, my truth. They don't understand any of it yet, but I want you to be a witness because if you're a witness, they're gonna wanna understand it. If you're my witness, really, they're gonna want to understand it. But if you're not my witness, they're not going to want to know anything about what you believe because it's true that people only want to, only, people don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. When they see how much you care, so what's motivating you? How come you, how come you help out these kids? Why do you do, why do you guys do all that stuff? What do you, what do you go, uh, um, why do you go help serve people? I don't, why do you do that? You getting paid for that? No, we just, we just love the Lord and we just, you know, something we do. Huh, that's weird. I don't know anybody that does that. Why do you guys do that? Well, it's the love of God compels us. Well, where do you get that from? Well, it's just God just, he, he does something on the inside. He begins to change us. Instead of being self-centered, we begin to be other-centered. Hmm, so, so, so tell me about that faith. See how this works? 
Tell, tell, tell me how, how'd you get there? And then now the next step is your testimony. Well, in my life, you know, I was living this way and I felt God waking me up to his word, the power of it, the transformation of the future in Jesus Christ. And, and when I gave my life to him, he began to pull the lens off and I, I see things I never saw before. I understand what I never understood. Hmm, why? Because you were a witness. That's why. And if we're not a witness, no, 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 no. I'm not listening to anything. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I'm not open to anything anybody has to say. Why? Because they don't see the witness. Jesus is like, my witness matters. I want them to hear my words, Jesus is thinking in this passage, long after I'm gone, long after I'm gone from this earth. I want these guys to have a respect for my words. And if I'm a witness now, they probably will. And the same is true with you. There's people in your life you may witness to, and maybe in your life they won't listen to your words, but if you were a good witness, guess what? They're going to start listening to your words. You see how that works? Witness is at stake, guys. Witness is at stake. So my primary witness is to God. My secondary witness is the whole world watching. The world is watching us. The world's watching us, especially if they know you're a believer, and they're holding you to a higher standard. They might not follow your standard, but you better believe they're holding you to it, And when you and I fall short, which we can, and we just repent and apologize and get back up and say, hey, guys, I fall short. Christians aren't perfect. We're just, we changed our aim. We we made a choice to change our aim in our life. It's been said that Christianity is not about perfection, but it is about direction. I'm not perfect, but I'm I'm aimed. And when I slip and fall, I get back up and keep walking with them. That's, That's the aim for the rest of my life. That's the commitment for the rest of my journey. And when people see that transparency, they'll have some grace uh, in our lives, but the point is the world is watching. So number three is this. Uh, we're, called, we're called to go beyond what we have to do because our witness is at stake. Beyond what we have to do. Jesus said to the, Ro- to the uh, disciples, if the Roman soldier asks you to carry something a mile, Christian, you carry it how many? Why? You don't have to. The requirement according to the Roman law. You might even go, well, that's a lame law. I don't even like that law. There shouldn't be a law like that. And they're Romans and they're occupying the land. I don't even like their political party, their persuasion. And why should I even follow that law? Jesus is like, listen, not only follow the law, I want you to double it. You see what he's saying to do? It's like when someone does this, turn the other cheek. It's like, you mean you want me to level up even more than the baseline? Yes, as my followers, can you go the extra mile? Can you be a witness for me by, taking, by, by stepping out and not being ordinary? God wants to do extraordinary things by the power of his spirit inside his people. And so we're called to, to do these other things. So the point is, uh, we are called to go beyond what we have to do, just like Jesus did. I don't want to offend, so I'm not going to offend. And I don't have to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And there's going to be a great witness here. And so you and I are called to follow the Jesus that we that we call ourselves followers of as Christians, as Christ followers. Jesus said, I'm doing it not to offend. And I wonder, do we care who we offend? And that's a private question between you and God. And we're not going to take a quiz on the way out the door this morning. How many of you care? Well, I, care, I could care less if I offend people. I mean, everyone's all over the place on that. I don't care if I offend anybody. Or they might think, well, in the, in, among the believers, I don't want to be offensive. But to the world, who cares? Everyone's got a different persuasion. But I'm just encouraging you this morning to start thinking like Jesus. He cared who he offended. Now, listen, we're not talking about a matter of sin. When we think of the world, this isn't the world trying to get you to sin 
and you're being a called out one and you're saying, no, I don't do that anymore. Oh, do it with us or else we'll be offended. Jesus never lined up with that policy. Does that make sense? He's not like, oh, you'll be happy then if I sin with you? No, he ne- we're always the called out ones. We're, no, we're not going to partner in people's sin or demise or go down the, the, the river of demise with people in, their, in, in worldliness in that respect. However, that's usually not the case. It's not usually the case pulling you into their worldliness. It's you walking with God, trying to witness to the world around you. They either get you or they don't get you or they're watching you or they're trying to understand what compels you. In that kind of context, it's for us to to go the extra mile, and to not offend. So let me rephrase it. Because our witness is at stake, do we care who we offend? Because our witness is at stake. Because our witness is at stake. Um, when we offend, guess God, we can ruin our witness. Do you guys know we can seriously damage our witness when we, when we, when we as, as believers, if we offend and we don't like try to make things right or pick up the pieces or do anything, we can seriously damage our witness. I can, you can, any of us can. And Jesus knows our witness is at stake all the time. Uh, a real quick illustration of this, and this is just a, a random one I just thought about, but we just had a, a recent presidential election a year, and a, what, a year and a half ago or something like that. Um, and there were some candidates uh, for the Republican Party that were running, and there was a, a running, and there was a pack of people, you know, doing this, like trying to, you know, there was no clear front runner. There was just a bunch of, you know, people trying to get a, a lot of candidates. And uh, one of those candidates um, uh, was Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz was a presidential candidate, and uh, he was uh, picking up steam among Christian voters, among evangelical Christian voters. And I liked the guy. I heard him on radio. I'm like, guys, we're, we're a great guy. I'm just telling you, this is not a this is not me having a, an opinion. I'm just quoting some news to you, some documented news, some documented statistics on witness, on something that happened that seems to, could be wrong, you might have a different opinion, seems to have affected his race and his witness. And Ted Cruz was picking up steam among conservative evangelical voters, but they discovered, according to his income tax following, filings for five years, because you, you have to make those public, you're supposed to make them public, and they realized over this big five-year period that he, di- he didn't tithe. But he was the front-running, conservative, evangelical, Bible-quoting, conserv- which I thought was wonderful. But according to what was presented, he didn't tithe. In fact, he didn't even give like 1% over five years. And all of his base, the Christian, conservative, Bible-believing, evangelical base, the ones that he was trying to resonate were with, is that true? Is, that, is it really true? This is like a federal filing. And they were a little shocked and a little alarmed. Now, some people could care less. That's fine. I'm not saying what opinion you should have on it. I'm just telling you what happened. And as soon as that came out, that he didn't give even 1% to any church or any Christ-centered mission of any kind over a five-year period, he began losing support because it affected his witness to many people. You might say, well, it shouldn't have. I'm not here to argue that. I'm just telling you what happened. His response, Ted Cruz says, I will readily admit that I have not been faithful in this aspect of my walk. That's what he said. And in response, Mike Huckabee said, who's an evangelical solid guy as well, they asked him, what do you think about this whole thing? You know, guy's ahead and he's coming behind. What do you think? And Mike Huckabee said, "Um, I just think it's hard to say God is first in your life if he's last in your budget. Huckabee was quoted telling BuzzFeed, if I can't trust God with a dime out of each dollar that I earn, then how can I, uh, then I'm not sure how I, I can tell him that I trust him with my whole life. To me, it's a validation of a person's stewardship 
and whether they put God first in their life. And he's saying not just first in politics, but first in his life. This is my call. And I, I would agree with that statement. I, I'm sure hindsight being 2020, Ted Cruz is an amazing guy. He would have done it different. Who knows what happened? All, all I know is it started to affect witness. And in our lives, the world is watching and we can do things that affect our witness. If we get mad at somebody and we start to make sure we go back as a Christian and say, hey, listen, um, I was angry. Would you forgive me? That restores our witness, right? But if we keep going around and we're angry with people, we're putting a dent in our witness, right? Um, if, if it comes to uh, all sorts of things, even paying taxes to the government, for example, paying taxes to the government. The Bible says to obey the laws of the land and respect and pray for our leaders. Jesus said to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's, even if it's taxes. If, if we're Christians and we're not even paying our taxes, guys, guess what? We're, we might wreck our witness, we should render to Caesar what's Caesar, render to God what's God's. As Christ followers, we're supposed to set an example, not just to do our duty, but to go beyond our duty. And that's what Jesus is doing in the passage. That is the glaring truth. No spin on this path. The glaring truth is with all this issue of taxes and what do I pay and what are they going to use it for and the history and why we give and why we don't, that's all in the story. But the glaring truth is the witness in the middle of the story. Will we do what we don't have to do if we don't have to do it? Or will we step in and go the extra mile? And Jesus is like, I care so much about witness. Witness is more than anything. Witness, I'm sending you to the whole world to be my witnesses and I'm gonna be with you so you can be a great witness for me. I will empower you to be witnesses. So what kind of witness do we wanna be when the whole world is watching? How many of you know that in the Bible, in the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, the devil comes out and he is called the accuser, the accuser of the brethren, right? You heard the story, the accuser? How many of you know when someone's on the witness stand, on the witness stand, the first thing that the, uh, if you're on the witness stand, the first thing that the uh, defense will try to do, if you're, uh, you know, you're defending yourself, the first thing the prosecution will do, excuse me, is they will try to damage your witness. They'll try to point to you and say things about you to make, to make you less credible, and the devil's trying to do that with our witness all the time. Oh, what about the time that? What about the time that? By the grace of God, there's restoration in Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank God for that. The beautiful thing is the devil doesn't want us to believe that. And the devil wants us to be diminished by the things he says about our witness. And that's what he tried doing with Job. You know, he's accusing, he's accusing. The only reason he follows you, God, is because he's blessed. And if you just, you know, no, 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 In the Bible, you got to know if you're feeling accusations about your witness or about your previous witness or your present witness, you got to know the devil is the accuser. The spirit may give you a conviction in a good way. The spirit will not give you condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're all called to step up in our witness, guys. I am as well. This passage is compelling to me. On what level of witness am I satisfied being? Am I satisfied being? I don't care if people are offended and I'm not going the extra mile because I don't have to. Or Jesus is telling me to go the extra mile and by doing so, I will let my light shine before men. They will see my good works and they will glorify my Father in heaven. And by going the extra mile with my witness, people will see how much I care and they'll, then they're gonna wanna know what drives me. And many of you have found this to be true uh, in your own life. The last section I just want to uh, read to you is, is this, um, and, and I want you to go home with the, uh, with the question tonight and to pray about through the week, what is my witness worth? Private time with Lord. What, what value do I place on my witness? I live my life. I'm busy. I want to honor you, God. You, number one, I get that. But what value do I put on my witness? 
where, where is that? Is that here, here? Where is your witness? What, what does it mean to you? What's the worth of your witness? Because I would say, Jesus would say, your witness matters so much. That's why I'm sending you out to the world to be my witnesses. So if you've downgraded your witness, I think the Lord wants to upgrade your witness. If you've downgraded your witness, the Lord wants to upgrade your witness. He wants to empower you to represent in a way you've never represented him before. But it's going to take starting to think like Jesus thinks. The way he looks at people and not wants to offend and wants to shine in front of everyone, even very lost and broken people, because they need him desperately. So... Last passage I just want to read, and this would be great if the worship team comes up. Um, Romans 14, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Romans 14, verse 17 and 19. We have it for the board up here. But some of you think when we talk about honoring God and trying to please the world, many of you in your mind, because it's very easy to do, those are polar opposites. There's no way you can please the world and please God at the same time. Many of us think that way. God's got an economy. The world has economy. God's holy. The world is this way. And therefore, there's no way to please both. You can't do it. Uh, they're, 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 they're antonyms. They're opposites. They're, they're, they're polar opposites. And there's no way you can do both. Scripture says, listen, as a witness, Scripture says you can. Scripture says you can honor and please God and still live pleasing to the world, meaning your witness is shining to the world, and they look at you and go, huh, wow, and God is pleased at the same time. I bring this up because a lot of people just get very compartmentalized with many things in life are black and white and distinct and separate and everything, and we're not talking about holiness and sin here. We're talking about a world that God placed you in, that you would be a witness by his design, and we have to change the way we think about the world around. It says this really quick in um, Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. Everyone say pleasing to God. And receives human approval. Human approval. You mean to tell me if I'm serving Jesus Christ, I am pleasing to God and I'm getting worldly approval? Did the Bible say I get? Well, I, I didn't think we want worldly, we even care about worldly approval. She's like, yeah, we don't want to offend anybody. We want our witness to shine. We do care about what the world thinks about us. Don't ever stop thinking about caring about what the world thinks, but you'll stop being a witness when you do. We have to care about what the world thinks about us. This past, because if you serve Christ in this way, it's pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Look, we're trying to build the world up in the ways of God and we're never gonna quit doing that. We're aiming at it in the way we do it. It's our last point this morning if you wanna take it down, our fifth point this morning. Serving Christ, the Bible says this, not Pastor B. The Bible says this. Serving Christ leads to a witness that pleases God, pleases God, and receives human approval at the same time. Many of us think you can't do that at the same time. They sound like polar opposites the way some of us think. I get it. I understand that thinking. But I think we need to line our thinking up with Jesus Christ, who says differently. Serving Jesus, honoring him, living for God's glory, going the extra mile, caring about the witness that he calls us to be. As we're serving him, it's pleasing to God and it's winning the world's approval. You know, Tim Tebow, amazing athlete, um, switching over to baseball right now. He was like number one quarterback in the nation in college, had an NFL thing for a while. And every announcer 
all they could say about him. Whether he hung with the NFL for X amount of time or didn't or performed under that kind of offense. He used to be a running quarterback, NFL. You got to be a throwing quarterback primarily. And so NFL didn't work out as long, but every single announcer said, wow, that guy, he was raised going on mission trips. He still goes on mission trips. And anyone on the team will tell you he's the hardest working guy on that entire locker room. Every announcer says, anybody that knows anything about him, he's the hardest working guy in the entire locker room. And so his witness was ratcheted. Does that make sense? He's pleasing God and winning worldly approval at the same time, not to shine before the world in a way that they'll go, you're awesome, but they'll see Jesus in him. And that's what witness is about. Amen. So let's close in prayer. Ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Uh, Mighty God, we love you so much. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the power of your word, God. And thank you for this understanding of uh, there's missions and support through the taxes of the temple and the, the giving and reaching a city and thing that, and that's been going on for thousands of years. And I, we see that in the story and Jesus followed through in that. He didn't need to, but he, but he did it. Um, but Lord, the bigger thing, the bigger thing is our witness. And do we care about our witness? And how much do we care about our witness? What level of worth do we put on our witness? You put a high level and we could maybe be all over the place. But I believe today, God, you're calling us to represent. You're calling us to be my witness. Be my witness is what the commission was. I'm sending you out to be my witnesses. But don't go anywhere till you've been filled with the Spirit. And when you've been filled with my Spirit, I want you to go out and be my witness because you in your own strength don't have the strength or the capacity or the wherewithal or the understanding or the grace or the love or the energy to be the kind of witness I'm calling you to be without my spirit. So wait into Jerusalem and be filled with the spirit. And then when you're filled, you step out those doors. And you step out those doors and you go public for me in a way you never went before. And it's not going to be you. It's going to be me in you shining through you and people are going to see Jesus in you. And as John and Peter went up and had to testify before the religious leaders, they said, well, they're not educated, but I know they've been with Jesus. Listen to the way they talk. And all of a sudden, the life of Jesus starts coming out of us, God. And that's what you want. So Lord, I just pray today, if any of you here this morning and you want God's power to be the kind of witness that you need to be, but you don't feel you can pull it off in your own strength, I'm standing myself. If you want to stand, I just want to ask God to to fill us fresh with his spirit, uh, that we would be, no, no harm, no foul. If you don't want to, you don't have to. If you, want, if you want more of God's power to be the kind of witness he's calling us to be in this passage here, to go the extra mile, to do what we don't have to do, but we do it anyway. Um, Lord, we come before you. Just lift your hand to him in any way you want in front of you or whatever you want. Just lift your hands with open hands. Say, mighty God, we need you, God. We pray that we would decrease so that you could increase, God. The only way you're going to increase in our lives is if we decrease personally and make room for you because we can't be filled with you and full of ourselves. So God, help us to decrease in areas of pride, control, any of these things, God. I pray you'd fill us with your spirit, God, that like the early church, we'd represent you in power. We'd be able to go out and testify. We'd go out and be able to serve. We'd be able to look at the world the way you look at the world and you care about them and you love them and you don't want to, you don't want to be offensive Uh, to them, and you walked places where a lot of religious people didn't walk, you walked right into circles, and you loved, and you testified, and you had grace, and you had mercy, but you pointed them all back to the ways of the king, and asked them to turn and follow. God, would we be those kind of witnesses, God? 
Can we please be those? That's your will, God. We're asking for your will this morning that we would go out and represent as witnesses to the ends of the earth. And California is the end of the earth. We got an ocean right down. There's no more land for 10,000 miles. God, you brought us to the ends of the earth, God. So I pray that we would testify where we're at. We'd be witnesses for you and people would see Jesus. And we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap because he's good all the time all the time. Hey, um, our prayer team is coming up. You need prayer for anything, any need, burden, request you have. Please come and see our prayer team. God's doing amazing things. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.